podcast. It is Sunday morning, and we are at Podcast Central, and we are uh, about to embark on a new adventure. An historic podcast. Um, I know it's correct to say an historic, I but I don't like it. I, I'm, I'm very much opposed to it. It always sounds it wrong. It makes me uncomfortable. I know. Um, I was trying to impress you with my academic... I feel like I feel like it's not correct. I feel like the N should come before a vowel sound, right? Which is why you say an hour. But it's actually proper to say an historic, right? I I don't know. I disagree. Yeah, but what do I know? Anyway, our historic event is a uh, cross transcontinental, yes, trans hemispheric. <laughs> our first international podcast. Podcast, yes. Um, our friend and former classmate, Josh Sandberg, mm-hmm. currently resides in Prague, which is in what country? Czech Republic. Very nicely done. Uh, Thank you. And um, just making sure you're prepared. Yeah. Uh, and we are going to be talking to him over Skype, and hopefully it will sound like human conversation. <laughs> yes. Uh, we have not talked to this person Voice-wise, in many years, so yeah. uh, it should be quite exciting. Yeah. I am exhilarated. I already. am, too. Are you ready? Let's do it. Let's do this. <laughs> Skype is ringing. Skype has funny sounds. Hello, Hello my old friends. friends. <laughs> Hello. Welcome to the <laughs> podcast. Thank you. Um, it's funny, because I've heard your voices on the on the podcast already, but you haven't heard what I sound like since... Well, I think I know. I think it's 1997. Wow. Really? I was thinking even earlier. Yeah, no, it well... It was definitely 97. So I have a little story to, to start off with, if, okay. you're, if you're ready for that. We're yeah. ready. Um, I believe it was probably the summer before college. Uh, our old friend Ryan Bandy was sort of like reaching out to you guys. Um, and uh, we somehow ended up at like a pool party at Joe's house. Um, and we'd already done a little bit of the sort of drifting apart, like to the two different high schools. And of course I had moved away in that time. Right. We came to a pool party at Joe's house and you had all these friends who were like, sort of like weird blips from my past that you guys had no idea about. Really? So like, for example, uh, when I was 13, I used to go to a lot of like uh, bar and bat mitzvahs uh-huh. and, uh, and May Whidbey was at like all of them. Oh, okay. <laughs> and we would always like kind of like save the last dance for each other and stuff like oh. that, you know? <laughs> and, uh, juicy. Yeah. And uh, I mean, in our, you know, 12, 13 year old way, right? And, uh, and so then there she was as a, you know, uh, you know someone about to go to college um, at, at Joe's house at like a pool party. We were all, you know, fake grownups at that point. So it was quite a transformation <laughs> she had undergone. And you guys, of course, had no idea. Like, <laughs> Right. It's really funny. Huh. You, you know, it's, what's crazy, I actually have a photograph from that event. I, like, because there's a picture and you're in it and some other people that we went to elementary school with. And then there's also, like, Brian Johnson, who is someone that we went to high right. school with. So it's this weird, weird mixture of, you know, at that time old and new. And I hadn't really placed when that was, but I guess it was that summer. I think it was summer after high school, and uh, 
that's super weird too because Brian Johnson's dad was like my Cub Scout den leader. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I hadn't seen him either since like that third grade Cub Scouts or fourth grade Cub Scouts or something. And he was there and he was like like a like a grown up guy with a beard. He like yeah. sort of, you know, came on strong right. uh at that time. And then there's a Kylie, I don't know what her last name is. Yeah, Kylie Parasolb. And we were in like first or second grade together, and I had like been to her house, you know, and like played with her dolls or whatever, you know. That is <laughs> like, wild. This, yeah, this yeah. is amazing of the small world aspect of Sacramento, no I guess. Yeah, now, so that was a really strange thing, that party. Now, I was trying to think of another time, and it was, I believe it was after college had already started, and it was at Jeff Oakey's parents' house. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Did okay. you go to that one? I did. So, um, I, don't think I, I went believe. To that one. I feel like that was Christmas, maybe, or something. Or was and it? So people brought time? like videotapes of us, like in elementary school, and like like Mrs. Hurst stopped by and everything, right? Right, right. Wow. No, I don't remember that at all. And that was the first time that I'd seen a lot of the people from elementary school, and that was probably the same thing with your experience with May, where it's like these people look a lot different from when they were you know, eleven <laughs> years old. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, that that was a weird one too. I. I sort of get this overlapped with uh, there was an there was an incident at Jeff Oakey's house where like various people were kicked out for for smoking weed. <laughs> I don't think it was at the same time, but like I was sort of lumped in with the weed smokers, even though I wasn't one of them. And like Jeff Oakey's dad, like kind of like doesn't like me since then. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I have no memory of that. I must not have been around for that incident. But must have been all the weed. Probably. <laughs> so, and uh, yeah, I mean, we've had a couple of those things. So I guess that must have been a little bit later. Um, huh. So you win. You win. I, I wrote this down. I made a couple of notes. I don't know <laughs> what kind of preparation you guys do. And I don't. Well, I do all the preparation. Jacob does no preparation except for the technical. Oh, yeah, I did, the, stuff. I did the technical preparation. Which I guess is the reason we're able to talk right now. So, and hopefully, fantastic. Yeah. So have you set me up as, in terms of like what time zone I'm in and how far away I am and all that kind of stuff? Um, well, we, we know the city and country, but in terms of time frame, it's 9.45 right now. What time is it in Prague? 6.45 p.m. Okay. All right, that's not so bad. So nine-hour difference. Okay. Yeah. yeah. What, and, uh, what, are some other, what are some other European cities that have the same uh, time zone as you? Well, Europe is actually kind of surprising in that respect, right? Because in America, we have uh, one, two, three, four time zones, right? Correct. And Europe looks big, so you think there's like a lot of time zones, but like almost everything you can think of is in the same time zone as me. Really? The only things that aren't are like uh, Portugal and uh, UK. So like Paris, uh, Rome, Stockholm, uh, every city in Germany. Uh, and it doesn't get to be another time zone until you get to like Greece and Turkey. Huh. So that surprised me when I came to Europe the first time. Um, well, that's as good a segue as any to the, to your story of how it is you ended up in Europe. Sure. Um, I don't know how far back to go. I'm, I don't want to give the the whole thing. And if you if you want to, if you want background on my background, uh, you can go ahead. But. Um, I guess the biggest thing was that I made two trips to Scandinavia the summer after I was in, after I finished college. Mm -hmm. uh, one of which was actually to present like my final project from, from university at a conference. And the other was 
to um, see go to a wedding of one of my Danish au pairs that I had when I was a kid. <laughs> I think we uh, have mentioned the au pairs before on the uh, on the podcast. Yeah, I now I have to admit I haven't listened to every single one, but you guys have certainly mentioned me at least twice, and so it wouldn't be surprising if you if you'd gotten to the au pair thing. Did there, they? There were a lot of significant events of our childhood at your house involving <laughs> you. True. Surely. Um, was, it, was there, I mean, are you guys aware of the like topless swimming and all that stuff that went on at my house when I was a kid? With the Mildly, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So this was, yeah, I thought this was kind of public knowledge. Right. So, so I went to one of their weddings and uh, visited both them and some of their families in different parts of Scandinavia and got this sort of weird feeling one day that I was kind of like at home and I needed to like kind of push that that experience as far as I could, because of course it's going to feel like whatever it feels like. If it's like a great vacation, it's going to feel that way for a month. Right. Uh, but I want to go there and live there and see what would happen. And so I turned out that the easiest way to do that is to study for a master's degree in Sweden. <laughs> oh, hmm. there you go. Which is actually free. Seriously? Really? The education yeah. is free? Yeah. So, I mean, uh, in Scandinavia, education is free for all, but Sweden is the only country that offers that to... Um, to foreigners. Huh. So, um, so I went to a study program there for two years where I met uh, someone who is now my wife, but who is from the Czech Republic. Okay. Hmm. And there were a lot of sort of intervening things. I lived in Gothenburg, Sweden for two years. Then I was back in Sacramento for a year. Then I lived in Stockholm, Sweden for a year. And then I lived in uh, San Francisco and Frankfurt, Germany for a short time. And eventually, once I was married and, like, we were two married people who were going to live in the same house, um, that became Prague. Huh. Now, um, I, I don't know a whole lot about Sweden. I mean, you ha there, there are the common thoughts, you know, the blondes and the skiing and the nice weather <laughs> and it being cold. The Ikeas and the Volvos? Yeah. Um, my my recent exposure to Sweden comes from having read the Stieg Larsson books. Sure. Um, which makes me feel like everyone in Sweden is a sex criminal. <laughs> um, and it, I've only read the first book, so okay. uh, I, don't, I don't know the full extent of what goes on in Sweden uh, as far as from Stieg Larsson's eyes, but I know at least one third of it. Okay. Free education and sex crimes? <laughs> yeah. I'm there. Yeah. My bags are um, packed. So, I mean, uh, I could address uh, a handful of those things. Uh, first of all, the thing about the girls, uh, there was certainly an element of that in my going there, in particular because everybody there speaks English, huh. but they're still excited that you're a foreigner. Hmm. So it's like, it's like you don't have to speak their language to like communicate, and yet you, know, you just open your mouth and you have a different accent, and they're like, oh, what are you doing here? You, know, you go into a bar. I would literally go into bars and walk like, from one end to the other like all night. And like, just stop and talk to like every girl that I thought was attractive. You know, like it was like a, it was like a ritual. You know, and they don't hate us as Americans. <laughs> um, Europeans do to differing degrees. I think Swedes like to act like they hate us, but really they're like very much into our pop culture, and so they kind of like us. Okay, nice. Um, but the lesson, the important, the important lessons for uh, for your listeners are number one, uh, the wild Swedish girl is not the Swedish girl in Sweden. It's the Swedish girl outside of Sweden. Hmm. And so, where is you know, that? Where are they found? Greece, Thailand, uh, Australia. Um, you know, Swedish girls go out and travel, and they look the same as they look at home, but they're also very free-spirited. Um, <laughs> within Sweden, it's very much like a kind of um, 
uh, I can't be too crazy because it wouldn't it wouldn't look right. You know, they need a certain level of of averageness. Everybody has to kind of match. Hmm. Um, so that was that was a little bit of a drawback. Although you know the the foreigner status did overcome that a little bit. Right. And the other lesson is don't learn the language because I thought that would impress them, and really then I just became just like them, and I wasn't as exciting anymore. Ah, uh, you have right. to keep your your uh, differentness or your individuality that makes you special. Right. Have either of you ever been to any Scandinavian countries? I have not. I no. actually have Norwegian and Swedish roots, but I have not made it over there yet. I highly recommend it. It's a, it's a really nice place to visit, and uh, especially if you don't go in the winter. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, it's definitely on the list of things to do. And my, my wife and I haven't been to, uh, to Europe together yet. We've been separately when we were younger, and... Uh, we've talked about like Spain and things like that, but, but, uh, Scandinavia is definitely the beauty of it as well as just the social aspects seems very cool. Yeah. I mean, uh, I didn't want to get uh, super intellectual about it, but in terms of experiencing a, uh, yeah, so at a very different social system than, than my own, uh, that was sort of a very interesting and eye opening experience. Uh, and it's, I mean, I think you can even see it a little bit. As you're, as you're there. Oh, which reminds me, um, the funny thing about Ikea is that it's super authentic. Like, every time I go into an Ikea, I feel like I'm in Sweden again. Nice. Really? Yeah, and it's not the furniture. It's like when you sit in the cafe and you eat the Swedish meatballs and, like, mm. the way, sort of, like, the way the windows are framed and the way they kind of have, like, windows inside the building. Like, they, they separate certain sections with, like, windows inside the building and lots of other, like, little touches. Like, I feel like I'm back in Sweden. It's really funny. Huh. Interesting. Sweden must be very crowded on Saturdays. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's money. I like that. That's that's very funny. <laughs> um, so so now you're in Prague and you live there with your wife and yes. um, we've talked to some degree on the podcast about uh, jobs and careers and stuff. And I am a teacher. I teach sixth grade, which is kind of the way I get paid back for all the things I did as a kid. Um, the things we, the, the things three we of did, us did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Jacob is a quote-unquote consultant. And I'm wondering if where your job lies in the spectrum of um, being able to actually know what it is that you do. I listened to this podcast, or at least one, about you know how nobody these days has a uh, has like a job title that you could understand without it being explained. Right. And I used to be that guy. Um, and I hope to be that guy again, but right now my job is really easy to explain because uh, Prague, is, no. yeah. <laughs> Prague is sort of a temporary situation, and as a result, I've made certain sacrifices, such as doing something I'm not that interested in. So I, I, I'll tell you what I really am, which is right now I'm a computer programmer um, okay. for the German stock exchange, amusingly enough. Huh. Um, but uh, what I was before was a designer and implementer of interactive installations. Okay. So that, when, I heard, when I heard that podcast that you did, I was uh, thinking about how I still want to be that guy and how I would be a really good example of someone where you would listen to it and you wouldn't, you wouldn't know what it was. Correct. And, and we have. So, <laughs> <laughs> so installations um, of what? So um, there are these things uh, a lot of times now in children's museums. Uh, occasionally you see them in shopping malls where you have kind of a wall or tabletop or floor that has some kind of screen or projection on it. 
Right. And you'll kind of, it's got like some kind of like graphics or whatever, and you'll walk up to it and sort of wave at it or touch it, and it will kind of like respond to what you're doing. Uh-huh. So it's kind of like uh, it's kind of like a Nintendo Wii without a controller. Okay. Uh, nice. And it's you know it's a thing in a public space that you somehow uh, interact with. So for example, one of the ones I worked on, uh, your your shadow sort of appears. It's not your real shadow; it's a projection of your shadow appears in the space, and there's these like words that fall from the top. And whenever they, wherever they land on your shadow, they don't fall anymore. So you can sort of hold up the words and make like, you know, I don't know, uh, word, word poetry type thingies. So, so are you doing both like the, uh, the, the computer programming of this and the physical installation of it? Or uh, when I worked like on this – oh, go ahead. Or is, or is it like an existing software that you then manipulate in your, in your physical installation of it? No, I was basically writing some of the software, and then uh, if I was lucky, I didn't have to do much of the physical installation. Um, there's really only two kinds of ways that it works. One is with touchscreens, and the other is with cameras. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So a lot of these things, if you don't know it, you can't figure out how it's working, but there's basically a camera that's watching you in a very special way. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. It, now, so I, Go ahead. I would love to be that guy again. I would love to say that I am that guy, but currently I'm not that guy. Is it something that that can't be done in Prague as easily as it can be done in whatever city you were in before? Uh, it's just not it's not uh, profitable here um, ah. because in in our country the, the the company I worked for that was doing it in the U.S. was doing it mainly for museums. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are other companies that are doing it more for like branding and kind of like trade shows. Um, and I worked for a, a company like that in Germany where um, you know like you go to like uh, the the Frankfurt Auto Show, which is like you know I don't know like a souped-up state fair for cars, and uh, you uh, you know there are all these different things like this where you learn about like the cars that they're trying to sell you by playing these games. Huh. And uh, you know the companies that are doing it in the U.S. and Germany are doing it for clients all over the world. So if you're not established or if you're not really good at it or or it's not you don't have a big local market you know, you're not going to sort of take off and then you have competitors from all over the world. So there's really only, I think, room for a few companies to do it right now. Right. Huh. That's a cool one, though. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, like, like some people like me, I guess, when you explain what you do as a consultant, it's kind of boring. I mean, I think it's boring. I'm bored by but it. But when you listen to that, you're like, wow, that is awesome. Yeah. Yeah, and there's something about me that uh, if I'm not that guy, I don't feel good about myself. I don't care about, like, other people, what they think about it. But, like, if I'm in somebody's presence and I have to say, oh, I'm a computer programmer, that just doesn't feel right. You know, it's like, mm. I don't care if they're impressed or not. I want to be impressed with myself at the time that I say it. Yeah. Right. That's kind of like uh, my wife uh, was a kitchen designer for a long time, and that's, like, her passion. She loves doing kitchen design and everything. And because the market just dried up with, you know, the housing, the housing market just died, uh, no one's no one has any equity. No one's remodeling their kitchens and everything. So she had to take a different job and manage people for a couple of years, and she just hated it. And she's now finally been able to get back in into kitchen design, and it, and it's it's just something that's so much more fulfilling for her in terms of like day to day existence and satisfaction. Yeah, and I mean, I think different people can need different levels of that out of their job. 
uh, I feel like I need it a lot. Like I want that sense of like it being really meaningful. There are some people who like work jobs that they don't like, but they don't care because they do their meaningful stuff outside of their work. Right. But or especially in America where we, where we work so much, yeah. uh, it's kind of hard, right, to say, oh, yeah, after I get home at 6, 7 p.m. or whatever, I'm going to go, you know, paint in my garage for five hours or, you know, whatever. Is that different in Europe then? Uh, it is a little bit different. Um, depends on the country, but in general, the hours are shorter. And a lot of the countries have very strong labor laws. Like, for example, here, it doesn't matter if you're a salaried employee or an executive or anything like that. You can't work more than 40 hours a week without getting overtime. It just doesn't happen. So even though I work for a very like high-powered company that makes software for the German stock exchange, and the German people who work for that company in Germany probably work 60 hours a week, we never get to work more than 40 hours. We never are allowed to work more than 40 hours a week um, wow. because of the labor laws in this country. So I think that's really kind of special. Yeah. I would love that. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, um, Prague is very open to uh, American immigrants. So. <laughs> Um, I, that makes me think back when you were talking about Sweden and people coming, uh, and the free education stuff there, are yeah. there a lot of non-Swedes in the universities there as a result of that? Yeah, it's, um, it's a concerted effort actually to get foreign students. Uh, they have over a hundred, what they call international master's programs, which means they're given in English. And those are open to Swedish students as well. So if they got, if the program has 10 spaces and they get 10 great Swedish applicants, they could have an English program full of entirely Swedish students in theory. But um, they want uh, foreign master students and there are lots and lots of international students there to the, to the degree that when I meet other people around Europe, one of the things we'll sometimes have in common is that we studied in Sweden, Sweden even though they're from Australia or India or Romania or wherever. And then did you, did you have that same uh, international mystique that you did at the bars in an academic setting? Uh, not really, only because in our particular program, you know, it was like 50% Swedes and 50% people from all over. So, I mean, I was kind of special, but we were all equally special. Okay. Uh, so, although I think there was something about uh, my voice is kind of like really loud. And uh, when I'm around strangers, I'm kind of very uh, hyperactive. And I think there was something about that that was pretty, pretty exciting to people. I don't know. <laughs> well, you know, from, from memories of childhood, you were always a pretty charismatic person. Yeah, this is interesting. I was hoping we would get to this. Like, <laughs> like, like who were we back then? I, I, uh, I have the same notes written down, like the, our perceptions of each other. Because I don't, I don't know if you listened to the podcast. It was after we did a little... Uh, BPM reunion at, at uh, Chevy's. Oh, right, right. I listened around, to that. Around Christmas. You did listen to that one? Yeah. And I, it, it came out that I was like the troublemaker. Like I was the bad kid in elementary school. Yeah, and you, uh, you tried to uh, list somebody else who would be better suited to be remembered that way, and I was on the list. <laughs> well, from your perspective, do you agree with that? I mean, can you either verify that as truth or dispel it as rumor? Like... I really wouldn't uh, think of – you would not be in the top five of troublemakers. Um, Considering that it was like 30 people, that's pretty good. Man. Yeah, you would not be in the top five. You were um, – I don't know. You were uh, You were active. Yeah. <laughs> I guess it's, I guess Hyperactive. It's, I was going to say gregarious. 
but I feel like, you know, I mean, even if we're not going to the junior high level, I feel like top five troublemakers, you got to have like me, Scott, I guess Ryan Bandy wasn't a problem yet until junior high. Um, so like me, Scott, I don't know, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I, I was I was shocked I that you had five above. Jeff. I think we got no, you, you'd, be, you'd right be top now. five. You'd be top five DPM troublemakers, but not what? top five Churchill oh, troublemakers. Oh, definitely not with Churchill. They're, yeah, they're so that's okay. That's what I would say. Yeah. Okay. And um, uh, I definitely took some notes about Jacob on this one. <laughs> this I would love to hear about troublemaking. No, not about troublemaking. Just about like who you were back then. Oh, okay. Um, you were a person of very uh, passionate interest in things which sort of maybe didn't necessarily befit your age. Yeah, I'd say that that still applies. So there was like, I remember you used to like get um, like every like full color, like automobile brochure you could get, but not of like Ferraris and like Porsches, but of like like minivans and like (laughs) station wagons and stuff. You would like call the car companies and get them to send you these things for free. And you would have like this huge collection of them. And it was cool that they would send you free stuff, but you didn't have like anything. Like probably the coolest car you had was like a Toyota Celica. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) That that's true. You know, when you, when you said about the Frankfurt auto show, I've heard of that, uh, you know, because they debut a lot of new cars there. And every year when I was a kid and actually a couple of times in the last few years, my dad and I would go to the Cal Expo, auto show where the local dealers bring out the the next year's models mm-hmm. and you basically you know get to sit in the all the cars and like check them out in this one place and like when i was a kid it was really cool did um, they have like futuristic ones like the they, they might have things? a few like on exhibit or something but it's mostly just like here's the 2011 mm-hmm. you know volvos or or right. cameras or whatever and you know and when i was a kid i, I used to love that huh yeah i also I feel that you um Really, and I don't know if you're even aware of this, but you had uh, amazing diction for a young child. Uh, really? <laughs> yeah, you really spoke very precisely and with very like perfect pronunciation. Is this and just one... is this just a memory you have, or do you have some like recording that we made? No, no. I well, I don't know. Maybe if we went back and looked at the uh, the James Bond videos. Uh, <laughs> yes. That's that's in the notes too, by the way. The the homemade James Bond films that we used to do. Right. Uh, but awesome. yeah, and I think. Particularly in those, you would I think you would play like uh, didn't you play um, who's who's the um, the gadgets guy Q? Yeah, Was didn't I? you play Q? I think so. Well, that is the yeah, and so you had to do like the perfect Q diction. But the funny thing about it was it wasn't that far off from like the way you really talked. <laughs> nice, <laughs> because I'm an old British gentleman. <laughs> yeah, and you always were. <laughs> um, and then. I have, I guess I have some more things about Joe, but like, uh, the other thing was, and I don't know if, uh, this is, this is dangerous territory, but, um, not that we weren't all doing this, but you, you did a lot of like, you know, people are gay jokes. <laughs> Indeed we did. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, Jacob in particular, and there was a particular incident, which I don't know if you guys are aware of, Uh-oh. um, where my mom drove us to something, you know, um, uh, you know, we went to somebody's house together or we went to a sporting event or I don't know what it was. And uh, my mom had a friend who, of course, I was unaware at the time, but it turned out he was gay and he was in the car. Oh, no. And oh, Jacob God. in particular was just like <laughs> <laughs> dropping these like, you know, really 
insensitive gayness remarks like all over the place. Not that any of us had any clue that you know this meant anything or that there were real people like this. Right. And my mom, without um, without saying anything about the fact that there had been a gay person in the car later the next day or something, said, "You know, you should really talk to your friend Jacob about being very insensitive about about gay people." Oh wow! Maybe you were more of the troublemaker than I was. Jacob. Apparently, I was. At least the, <laughs> was at least the insensitive hate, bigot. I was the hate criminal of the sixth grade. Um, Joe, I got another one for you, which was that, and then I'm really interested to hear about you guys. But Joe was interesting in that he was part of the gang. You know, he wasn't one of the losers, but there was a certain. So you know, he wasn't like uh, AJ or or. And I, I mean no disrespect to these people. They're all my Facebook friends now. But, right. um, you know, I think AJ and Ben Wang and Chris White were kind of on the outside. And Joe yeah. was never that. But I think among the the in crowd, he was the most convenient for some people to kind of try to ostracize from time to time. Yeah, I was like the George Costanza that would get, you know, the butt of the jokes off. Yeah. 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 So, so I remember... you did become a target. I did. I feel like I feel like to some extent I still am, and it kind of makes me wonder about my personality. If I just have like an antagonistic personality that makes people want to, uh, you know, kind of jump on me about things. But does this happen at work with your work colleagues? Well, like in certain things, it, li- living in Northern California and being both a Lakers fan and a Dodgers fan. Makes You're a it, Lakers fan? Yeah, I'm sorry. I, I knew you were a Dodgers fan, but because yeah. uh, I remember uh, watching the uh, the Kirk Gibson World Series with you, actually. Um, really? Yeah, the, I watched the Kirk Gibson game with you. Really? Oh, that's yeah. a great little addition. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. a great memory. Uh, anyway, so your Lakers fan. Let me. Uh, yeah, let I me see your I see your Doug Christie picture on Skype, and I. No, that's actually Kevin Martin, but oh, uh, it's hard oh, to tell at that size. Yeah, I'm sorry. Um, anyway, uh, you know, I just get a lot of grief from people. About that kind of stuff, so I don't know if that's part of it. That well, I, I think that I think your your uh, bragging about your teams and then also just your competitive nature makes people because yeah, whenever you post anything on Facebook about the Lakers or Dodgers or something, immediately all these people are commenting. You know, people that I don't know, right? So obviously your work or some other area friends, they just pounce on it. Like they do. I think you you call attention to yourself through the competitiveness and, and the sports braggery that when anything, when there's any like misstep, people just jump on it and, and want to rib you about the giants or something, you know? Yes. It's, it's funny though, because like, uh, for certain people, like if somebody's a Lakers fan and not really anything else, by the time you get the chance to do that back to them, it's too late. You know, if somebody's like a Lakers fan or a Yankees fan who are like the most detestable fans there are, like it doesn't feel any good when they when they don't win the title for one season to to like be mean to them about it. Right, right. Because like you know it's going to come back around. Yeah. Well, like right now, what's going on with the Giants is, and, and and I have no hatred for the Kings right now, just because they're not really any good. And which and, you know, means you're not a real Lakers fan, because real Lakers fans are jerks about that kind of stuff, even when it well, doesn't matter. I mean, I'll still, I'll still. I'll still, you know, obviously always root for the Lakers, but it's just like there are there's bigger fish to fry right now than the Kings. You know? Absolutely. Um, but with the and and my hatred for the Giants is greater than my hatred for every other team put together in any other, you know, all the other rivals put together. Yeah, this and, is the Lakers for me. And for for the for as a Dodger fan, I've been able to hold over 
Giants fans that they've never won a World Series in San Francisco. The last time they won it, they were in New York. And so, like, I'm just terrified that I will lose that upper hand over them. Um, it, you know, it came really close in 2002 with Barry Bonds and everything. And, and that's my biggest fear. Like, the, 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 Giants, the Giants winning is, is, is just, the prospect of it is just so painful. I'm glad you get to see it from the other side because um, as, a Lake, as someone who hates the Lakers, I don't know how many people you have sort of uh, really emotional conversations about this with, but I had lots of those things for the Lakers for years, mm-hmm. and they're all gone. So I had, well, at least like, you know, in the very beginning it was like, well, at least Shaq's never been in a lost in a playoff series that he hasn't been swept out of. Well, at least Shaq and Kobe don't have any rings. Right. Well, at least Phil Jackson hasn't won the most titles of any coach in the NBA, and so on. Yeah. And uh, there's none of them left. There's none of them left anymore. So, but I'm and, glad. I'm glad you can understand how those things getting knocked down feels. Yeah, definitely for someone. And and with the Dodgers, the last two seasons losing to the Phillies last night, I was like, God, if the Phillies roll over for the Giants after beating us the last two years, I'm going to be super pissed. And baseball is so fickle now that there's just tons of opportunities to get your heart broken. Right, right. And, I mean, it's, and, re- it's really bizarre. And I understand that, you know, the fact that, that my basketball team has now won the past two years, I really can't complain about anything else. You know, it's like the, when you win a championship, you, you have like, I don't know what the span of time is, five, eight, ten years, where you can't complain about sports anymore because your team has won it all, you know, and there's so many people whose teams haven't. Right. But, like, right now, the 49ers are terrible. The Dodgers are out of it, and the Giants are doing well. Uh, the soccer team I've, I've jumped on, Liverpool, lost again today, and they're abysmal. And so, you know, it's, 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 it's been a difficult sports How do you even get few months for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and you have to keep that to yourself because it's really unfair to complain about anything in sports right now. It is. Yeah. It is. Do you watch uh, Premier League games? Uh, I do. I tried to. I mean matches, sorry. (laughs) I I woke up at 6 this morning and and fired up my laptop and found a a website that was broadcasting the game. Um, Not probably through legitimate means, but, you know. And uh, and watched them just be completely ineffective, which was... So, um, I have, by virtue of my marriage, a uh, nephew who is the number two goalkeeper for West Ham United. Really? Yeah, and it's really funny because, um, you know, it's a perfect time to be getting into football, as they call it in my office, um, <laughs> where we uh, basically have a league where we play the Pro Evolution Soccer video game, like one game against each other every week, uh-huh. and, nice. and never do any work. Um, <laughs> But, uh, really but it's like a great time to be getting into it, right? Obviously, the popularity is rising in the U.S. And if you watched, you know, a World Cup match followed by a baseball game this summer, uh, you had to be aware of the fact that, um, you know. One was infinitely <laughs> more exciting than the other. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, needed, I needed you to say that in a, in yeah. a good way for me. No, definitely. Uh, so, and then I have this sort of, uh, you know, personal connection to it now, and it's really great. Um, what is his name? His name is Marek Shech. Wow. How's that last name spelled? Uh, S-T-E-C-H. Okay. If you, if you, uh, I think he has a Wikipedia page. Okay. So are you going to uh, switch your soccer allegiance now? No, but... Uh, I know you've been my, shopping a new team. My, no, my, my soccer video game of choice is FIFA 11. I've, 
I've uh, I've been spending a lot of time on that. I found it pretty enjoyable, and I I've been able to uh, take the abysmal Liverpool players and sell some of them off and and get some new ones who can actually score goals. And nice. so you know maybe maybe for sentimentality, I'll I'll sign this guy as my backup goalkeeper or something. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Sort, you know. <laughs> Uh, I think there's some weird, weird things about uh, we were trying to find him in uh, Pro Evolution Soccer and like some of the teams either aren't in there or like they have like fake names because like they don't have the rights for that team. So like, right. I, 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 like, of course, any, if a British person were to listen to this, they'd think I was an idiot. But like Arsenal is called like North London or something like that because like they don't have the logo. Uh, yeah. I don't know what part of London Arsenal is really from. So. They would be either. called whatever part of London they're from. So we were trying to find him on there, uh, but but we couldn't. But I, I suspect he must be in at least one video game by now. He's been he's been on West Ham's uh, A team roster for I think three years now. Well, FIFA is pretty deep. Like it has all the teams. It has like I mean, you could be a ga- backup goalkeeper in like the Korean second league, and you'd be on the on that game. I mean, it's oh, okay. So he's probably there, and if he's not, I should be really ashamed. Yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, have have you seen this person actually play? Are you confirmed? Uh, the, uh, okay, you'll like this. Um, uh, we went to see. Him. He's playing for the Czech uh, under twenty one national team. Uh, some various times in the last few weeks, mm-hmm. and we went to see him play. It was the first time I'd ever seen him play in real life. I saw him on TV a couple of years ago, and uh, <laughs> the uh, great part about this is that um, it was you know the the real national team was playing that night. Uh, as well for for Euro League qualifying or something. Mm-hmm. Um, what is it? Uh, the UEFA Cup qualifying. Okay. He's playing in the under twenty one UEFA Cup, but it was a reasonably big deal. It was on national TV and whatever. And so they um, they had me and my wife in the stands, like on the TV broadcast. Really? And um, it's really funny because um, and not to drop a bombshell or anything, but uh, she's pregnant. Oh, and uh, thank you, thank you. And uh, so, you know, it's sort of showing us, and I needed a translation for this when I saw it after the fact, but basically the announcer goes, uh, and here's a nice young couple, uh, you know, coming to the soccer match for a date, right? I'm kind of like kissing her on the cheek or something, and then I start rubbing her stomach, (laughs) and the announcer goes, well, maybe it's not their first date. (laughs) That's awesome. All of this in check. Yeah, that is great. Yeah, the yeah. the uh, just kind of tug in cheek way that that European broadcasters say things is, guy, it's so much better than the hyperbole of American broadcasters for the most part. Just the way, yeah. they have, you know, they have to over dramatize everything. Right. And you don't think Joe? I mean, we'd obviously have to save this for a completely separate podcast if we were going to talk about how bad American sports announcers yeah, were. Definitely, <laughs> definitely. But um, Jacob, if you had a comment to to drop in there, I'll let you do one. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Well, I thought that uh, you know you you gave us some feedback as to your memory of us as young people. So I, I thought I'd uh, I feel like I should uh, give you a little bit of that back as well. Sweet, bring it. Uh, <laughs> I, I well, first off, I think it's I think it's funny that we remember the people who were in the you know the Rapid Learner program or whatever so vividly. Like every single person, every single year, I feel like I remember them and I have specific memories of them but i don't remember anybody not in our class 
You know, yeah. like maybe some people who are a year older than us or younger in Rapid Learner, but like any of the quote unquote neighborhood kids, I don't remember any of them. Well, we had like no interaction with them. I just think that that's weird. Like coming from a teacher who, you know, the kids do interact with each other and, you know, you're with one class one year and one another year. Yeah, but to but, not know, you know, to not even like, I don't know anybody's name. But that we weren't, we were, we were in that, that track where we were the same 30 kids every year, give or take one or two, you know. Whereas if we were, I mean, I think what, there was probably three sixth grade classes and we were one. And then I think the other two were more intermingled like that but you know we were always on that track being the the nerd squad that we were don't you think they must we didn't we didn't join up for like pe or like the school play or anything there was was no integration they must have resented us so much i feel like don't you think we were separate but so unequal they did because my sister uh was in the neighborhood kids and and i keep wanting to say that at trivia whenever like that's the thing (laughs) whenever she gets something wrong I always want to like drop a neighborhood <laughs> comment on her. <laughs> I forgot that they were the neighborhood kids. Yeah, right. Yeah, but but there was. I mean, you know, they they didn't have as many trips. They didn't have as much parent um, participation. Well, they didn't have a Spanish teacher and a poetry teacher and a the, dance teacher. The extracurricular and, yeah. stuff. Yeah, I mean, I, there was some significant uh, jealousy. Yeah. I, I think I think when she was in sixth grade, their class did a play. As well, or, or maybe a talent show, and there was some sort of I don't. Well, remember they probably what they didn't did. do it as well, right? But but they did something <laughs> that was like thumbing their nose at the 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 rapid learner class. Like we can do it too. Yeah, and it was there. Yeah, there was some like animosity. I have to feel like the teachers probably had that same animosity. You know, that, I would think so. That oh, we're just teaching the neighborhood kids instead of instead of the because like our teachers when. Senor Jimenez came for Spanish, or we, Mr. John Allen Can came for poetry. Like, that was a break for them. Right. And so they got, you know, hours a week of break, whereas the other teachers didn't. Right. They were yeah, sort of like, like in the lounge together, and like our teachers were acting all superior. That would be. <laughs> yeah, like they have their own table where they talk about highbrow things, and the other, the other people are just talking about low pop culture. References or something. Yeah, they never showed that uh, aspect of things on the on the wire when they took us inside of uh, inner city education. You know, that's that's a show I have not yet. I keep hearing so much about it, and I watched the very first episode of the first season, and it just seemed really dense and like full to me. That I was like, I, I I'm not ready for this yet. But the one yeah. about the fact that there is the season all about education definitely is intriguing to me. Yeah. No, it's. Uh, it's a funny thing because, like, I mean, pretty much everybody who loves The Wire basically says that what they love about it is that it's, like, so real. Mm-hmm. And so I think if you're actually involved in any of the particular areas that they touch on, even if you don't teach inner-city kids from Baltimore, it's probably I, – I wonder. I wonder if it's, like, you know, you're like, oh, please give me a break if you're like, wow, this is – Well, isn't, isn't one of the seasons about, like, longshoremen or something? Do we really know a lot of longshoremen that say, oh, yes, this wire show is really – you know? <laughs> Yeah, no, I guess not. In not every season will a lot of people have the opportunity. Yeah, that's, that's to connect to the reality of it. Yeah, I mean, how, how how do we really know how realistic it is, or how or like this is how we think it is realistically, right. or you know? Yeah, anyway, sure. I got away. I got away from my original purpose, which was to talk about young Josh, young Josh Sandberg. Um, yes, you were talking before about how Jacob was very. Uh, 
well spoken, and I, I have to say that that you're one of the ones that that comes across in that same way too with your charisma. And it, and the the main thing that that I'm reminded of is our poetry classes, where you <laughs> developed your like every week standard poetry lines that by you know a while into it everyone had memorized, and whenever that would come up, we'd all be saying. And I I, I wish I remembered all of it. I know the last part is like. Absolutely self-satisfying or something. I know that one. There were a couple lines. I know how that one goes. How's that one go? It was uh, stimulating, unpredictable, and absolutely self-satisfying. Right, right. The other one was uh, blood dripping on the chainsaw of thought. That's the other one. That's right. That's Wow. I I do remember that now that you bring it up. As a sixth grade teacher, if one of my kids wrote blood dripping on the chainsaw of thought, you have to call the sheriff, right? One, I would be really concerned, but two, I would be really impressed because none of my kids and and they have varying degrees of, you know, higher level thinking or creative creative abilities, none of them could even come close to that. Right. So, wow, let the let the flattery begin. Yeah. Um, <laughs> more more stories. That's awesome. Um the other the other thing that I remember is obviously one of the big ones was um your um Oscar nominated performance as Milky White uh the cow. <laughs> I think that'd be a Tony nominated. I guess that would be Tony, you're right. Um how did how how did that come about? How did you win the role of the cow? Yeah, so you'll like this. Um well, so remember, uh, it was actually pretty pretty cutthroat for that uh, for that play because that was Mrs. Hurst, and we actually had to both sing and read lines for our. Oh, for I our remember! I-, I sang "I believe the children are our future," <laughs> and that's why I got the role of the narrator who has no individual singing lines. You think that had something to do with it? I think it might. I think there might be a connection there. Um. Yeah. So I think basically. I mean, it was pretty clear that, you know, there were, you know, 28 parts and and 29 kids who needed parts. (laughs) Um, And oddly enough, I remember I was on like a family vacation in San Diego. And uh, actually, I mean, the whole thing was super weird. We had to sing for the audition. We had to read the lines. And Mrs. Hurst called us at home to like tell us what part we got. Wow. Which, as I look back, like strikes me as very odd. Yeah. Um, and I wasn't even at home. She called me in like San Diego or maybe like I had to call her or something like as a sixth grader. Um, and she said, well, you know, I, I don't know how she broke it to me, but like, we're, we're going to have you be milky white, the cow, but, um, you know, you can write your own lines for it or something like that. And have your own, uh, uh inflatable udder. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, cause milky white in the, um, in the real Into the Woods doesn't say anything, obviously. Right, and it's an uh, I, object, right? Right. And, yeah, right. They carry it around by yeah, a handle, right. actually. Yeah. Um, and I got to drop these kind of, uh, I don't know, everybody would freeze and like the cow would have some kind of, uh, you know, snide, snide remark in the, in, the interstitials, in the interstitials of the drama. So looking back at it, are you pretty happy that you got that role? Was that like the perfect role for you or... Do you um, do you wish you'd been one of the princes singing agony? <laughs> the thing that that I don't like about the Milky White experience is that <laughs> that's a great, uh, that is phrase, a great phrase, right? The Milky, the Milky White, White experience. <laughs> the thing I didn't like about that is I feel like my lines really <clears throat> fell flat. So, like, it was cool that I got to put these like weird, funny things in that I wrote. 
but I actually don't think I really nailed it. Um, so it was kind of perfect for me, but I, I don't feel like, you know, the parents like sort of, you know, went, Oh, that's a, that's a funny, sophisticated kid or something like that, you know? <laughs> right. But I, I wonder if that was part of Mrs. Hurst's decision was, I mean, was to it to humble you a little bit? No, 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 no. <laughs> was it like, Oh, we'll give Josh the part of the cow or was it, uh, well, someone's going to be the cow and I'm going to let them write their own lines. This kid's clever, and he's not like uh, right. Jacob and Joe who just go out there and tell gay jokes. <laughs> so, so I'm going to give this kid carte blanche to write a couple, you know, funny, snarky, cutaway lines that he can throw in because, you know, because you would be able to do a good job at it. These things happen, you know. Uh, I mean, I haven't found out anything about this about my elementary school teachers, but sometimes you find out about things that happened in your past that you have a very sort of like angry, negative uh, memory of, and in reality, it wasn't at all what you thought. So, you know, that could that could be. But yeah, the thing I don't like about that one was that I feel like I didn't really nail the lines. <laughs> well, here, here's another kind of silver line that you can take. In terms of peripheral characters, I don't think you had the worst one. I think the worst one has to be Phil yeah, I mean, as least, Oh Good Friends. As the good friend With the... The birds on a stick. At least Josh, Josh was on stage and right. being seen. I think Phil had to wear like all black and hold out like a fishing pole with yeah. fake birds on it. Yeah. Yeah. Now, as a person who is pretty uh, frequently in touch with Phil to this day, I think it's kind of amusing because I remember that he did that on purpose. He didn't oh, really? try out for a part. Oh, really? So it wasn't like he tried out for a part and he, uh, and he, and he got crap. Like mm-hmm. he didn't want to try out and he wanted to be, or I don't know if he wanted to be like the sound technician or whatever, or the light technician, but he didn't want to be in the play. And I mean, that still kind of fits. I mean, he's a bit of a, he's a bit of a character now. Like if you go out drinking or something, Uh but I would have a hard time imagining Phil at any age wanting to sort of put himself on stage really. I see. Uh The the mystery of it all still is how the lead role was cast. Uh, you know, not to, right. not to, you know, not to uh, besmirch any people, but I think I think one of the most memorable uh, tryout performances was by the eventual lead actor. Are we gonna name? Are we gonna name this person, or is it still too soon? I, I, I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of circumventing it and allowing someone else to. to I, I know I know who you're talking about. Right. Right. Well, right, so he tried to sing a couple of times, and, like, he was so bad that he had to switch songs. Correct. Right. And he couldn't remember the words of any of the songs. Right. And and then Mrs. Hurst goes, that's my lead actor. Well, but I have to think that's another one of her things, like, you know, okay, this kid gets picked on maybe a little by, by the air quote, you know, cool kids group. And but I I think he can do this, and I think all he needs is someone you know to to believe in him and prop him up. And so she made the decision. You know I, that has to be. You know, as a teacher, I can see myself right. doing that same kind of thing. So I guess that's a good point. But I feel like up until the eleventh hour dress rehearsals, he still didn't really know the lines. I was just going to say, I think it's funny that Joe's the teacher and Jacob's delivering all the, well, you know, the teacher must have been thinking <laughs> type of, it's type of analysis. It's Sunday. I'm off teacher mode right now. <laughs> um, nice. Actually, I, I've, I've seen the video not too, uh, not too long ago. Um, I, think either, I think Zach's parents have it or we have it maybe. Zach's and, parents have all the videos. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
In, in case you haven't heard on the podcast before, Zach lives across the street from me, by the way. I don't know if you knew that. I didn't hear that. That's yeah. very funny. Yeah. Anyway, um, so we were watching it, and, and at the very end, like, when the play is over and Mrs. Mrs. Hurst is out there uh, talking talking to the people, um, or, you know what? Maybe – no, I'm sorry. It was, uh, it was fourth grade. It was uh, Miss Casa. Oh. And uh, she's out there talking to the people – and um, I think Chris White is doing something, or some someone's doing something. Or he's like hamming it up, or something. Yeah, like, and yeah. And, <laughs> and, uh, and she just kind of puts us in our place, like like uh, she, she makes a comment. She says, "Sometimes I have to tell, I have to show them my degree and teaching credential to prove to them that I'm like the smart one, or something like that." Like <laughs> it, suggesting that we really think we're way too smart for our own good, and that and that. Oh, and we did. I'm sure we did. I'm sure we <laughs> yeah, did. Without a doubt, we did. I, I wish I could go back and kind of relive just a day of, of what that was like or, you know, kind of an out-of-body uh, seeing what it was like. Because, um, you know, you have memories, but you don't remember. You remember being in a play or you remember something funny someone said, but you don't remember, like, the day-to-day routines and, you know, that right. kind of aspect well, of and, education. And that's what I was thinking of when, when Josh is saying he doesn't feel like he nailed his milky white lines, that maybe looking back, you know, they weren't uh, comedic gold or the, or the parents didn't really get it. But I'm sure to us, it was like, you know, having Jerry Seinfeld have a cameo in your, in your movie or something. I'm sure that we thought it was, you know, super funny, probably, oh, little, probably a little envelope pushing and like, right. you know, like, I, I'm sure that we thought it was the, the best thing. It was very much like topical material. I think I had a joke about like uh, about which actually after the fact, now that I think about it, it turned out to be very prescient because this would have been like uh, what late, very end of the eighties. Yeah, Nin- or 90, early, yeah, 90, 90. 91, something like that. So there's a crazy old man in the woods. Yeah, and and one of the lines is something like the woods are full of like crazy old men or something, and the Milky White line is no, just former presidents. Nice. And the president at the time had Alzheimer's. Right. <laughs> Not that we knew it then, but. Right. That's funny. But see, that's, that's the kind of thing, like, would Joe, would your sixth graders write something like that? Oh, never. Like a semi-political oh, Saturday Night Live-esque please. joke. No. no. But we did. Yeah. Josh did. That's, it, it definitely is, uh, it, it makes me wonder if we were somehow like some, well, I, I, I know the people before us and after us were. We're probably at the same level, so it's not like we were some once in a million, right. you know, children. But but uh, it is fun to look back and think about the things that we did at that age that that were so I don't know unique and creative and like like John one year for the talent show did a stand up comedy routine, right? And we thought he was hilarious. You know, we thought he was absolutely killing. And I'm sure the adults were like. All right, let's get this guy off the stage. Yeah. But in that case, I'm not so sure. I think you maybe. I mean, you guys know more than I do, obviously, about what he's up to now. But I, if I look back on it, uh, I think of him as perhaps someone who was kind of, you know, uh, precociously talented in that regard. He, yeah, he still is. I mean, he he's kind of bounced around a little bit, but he he's mostly in Chicago. And um, mm. a few years ago, I went to go see him in one of his plays. Uh, he was Lobster Boy. In the nice. uh, in the circus freak uh, themed show, Lobster Boy. Um, but yeah, he still oh, he is was the titular Lobster he Boy. He was. He was. 
but yeah, he's still pretty titular. Sounds so wrong. It does. Um, but yeah, he definitely is still uh, churning out the comic gold. Yeah, I mean, because I remember he did, you know, he did those uh, Odyssey of the Mind sketches mm-hmm. or skits or whatever, and I assume he was a big part of writing those. And I was in those competitions, and those adults were were wowed by the writing. So, um, what, like, like genuinely, what what Odyssey of the Mind memories do you have? Because I did it a couple of different times. Um, I was definitely on a team with Jacob once. Yeah, I, I think that was our uh, fifth grade award winning team. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, the uh, the Oliver Mark team. The Nothing. Which Nothing. One? Which one? What? The main character of our skit was called Oliver Mark because it was so clever. Because you know, like the competition was OM. Oh, I see. I don't remember that at all. <laughs> <laughs> we're we you guys were too clever for your future adult personas. <laughs> right. Probably. I definitely feel like that sometimes. Yeah. Like, well, that's you know, kind of why my... we started the podcast, is we thought, you know, when we were younger, we were so clever and creative, and now we're just adults that, you know, watch sports and drink and yeah. play games and things <laughs> like that. We're, we're, you know, we're not, we're not, we're not adding. Uh, we don't adding. have an outlet. Right, right. And so that's kind of how this whole thing started. Well, you're definitely, like, uh, bringing up a lot of things that I wanted to ask you about, um, which could get very, uh, you know, sort of lofty. But the first thing I was wondering about, yeah, was kind of why you started. But also, and I don't mean this in any kind of, like, sort of, like, sideways, sarcastic way, but, like, who do you consider your audience? Like, <laughs> uh, Jake, I really don't, I'm really not being sarcastic. I'm, <laughs> I'm curious. Like, no, when no, we... it's, it's true. I mean, I think that Joe said when we first started that our goal was to uh, entertain ourselves and possibly other people i honestly think that our audience is us yeah you know like like we're not we're not doing this expecting there to be some massive audience and for it to someday be a career or anything like that though that would be sweet if that happened if all of a sudden we got like a million prog listeners or something and uh, we could do a daily show and we could quit our jobs or something um but uh but yeah you know it's 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 an opportunity for us to get together and and amuse ourselves and amuse each other and and that's really that's really kind of the point of it i think right i think there's a level of significance about this kind of endeavor that you guys i don't know if you've even really thought about it enough like because if you read enough and not that i read a lot of these hopefully but if you read enough sort of like uh spirituality books or self-help books or meditation books or things like that I think it becomes clear that they're all kind of about the same thing, and it's about doing something like this and taking it seriously. Um, not seriously in the sense that not 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 seriously in the sense that you that you think, oh, I am a star, like I'm going to be like a podcast star, but rather that you acknowledge that it's just for you, that it's just for fun, and yet that is as serious as something can be. That is as important as something can be. And I don't know if you guys have thought about that, but I've seen that with a lot of the things that I've done in my life is. Uh, you know, you do something that's completely ridiculous or completely for fun, and you take it seriously in the sense that because it's mine, it's not important. It's not like, you know, people will study it throughout history, and it's not like they should show it on every channel, but it matters because it matters to me. But right. but that kind of mattering is a big thing. Right, and it's something, I mean, we, you know, like Joe says, I don't do any preparation. I just kind of show up and, and comment on what he wants to talk about and stuff, but he takes it very seriously in that. And I think we both take it very seriously in that um, 
we make an effort. Like there's been weeks where we're like, oh, we don't have anything to, to post on, on this weekend. We better get together and do a quick podcast or, you know, we better do something. I, I think, I think that it's no different, you know, when, when, when I was a kid, my sister and I had a little tape recorder and we would make little like radio shows or something and, you know, record them and then play them back and giggle. And I mean, Joe and I could sit here and just talk to each other or, or pretend, you know, like we were doing something, but I think, I think the actual, you know, broadcasting it or putting it on iTunes and, and telling friends to listen to it or, or asking friends to listen to it, it makes it, it's like a hobby that, that we, you know, it's something to do and it takes seriously. It gives us a reason to get together and it gives us that outlet, like you were talking about, of, you know, producing something. It's definitely not like, it doesn't, never feels like an obligation or something that we do begrudgingly, you know? I mean, sometimes there's time when it's like, Oh, I got to get some podcast material together or something. But but you know, it's it like the, Jacob said, it's it I think it's the time spent in here recording and kind of, you know, cracking each other up and and interacting and doing that that is the reason we do it, you know, dep- no matter who listens to it. Right. I mean, obviously, I guess subconsciously part of it is the recording and the and Jacob adding the music and and putting it online and everything. But but it's this experience right now of talking to each other and talking to whatever guests we have that is really the reason I, we do it, or the reason I do it, I would say. And, and I think outside of this room, the thing that I like looking for is, is just going through your everyday life, looking for those moments that are like, oh, I, this would be a good story for the podcast, or right. this would be something I want to talk about on the podcast. Right. Yeah, I think that's great. And I mean, I you know, part of the reason I wanted to do it... Um, is just because I thought it was really cool that you guys were doing it, and and partially in that sort of very uh, uh, high blown way I was talking about, in that it's you know two people that I know from a long time ago who obviously are you know doing something you know that that makes their life fun, and they're doing it like together. I mean, it's, well, that's a weird word, but um, you know, like you guys are people that I know that were good friends way back then, and you're carrying on your sort of creative interest together. I think that's cool. And you know, are are you someone who listens to podcasts? Like, do you seek out podcasts and listen to them regularly? Or yeah, so this is a topic that I was uh, really interested to talk about because um, I think podcasts are a really funny thing in the sense that um, intellectually, I think as a consumer, they're the stupidest thing ever. Like, it's really stupid to listen to podcasts. I, I fundamentally believe this sometimes. <laughs> As a producer of a podcast or a, you know, anyone who creates a podcast in any way, I think it's a fantastic thing because I think that thing you talked about, about distributing it, it's not that you want people to hear it, but it's like, um, I think it's kind of analogous to this thing that I read recently, which is something like, everybody's an artist, everybody has um, like sketches, half-finished sketches in their closet or like cakes that they bake that they threw away or whatever, you know, you're, you're, you're a chef, you're a painter, you're a podcaster, whatever. And if you want to feel like you really are that person, get those old recipes out of the closet and like put them on your blog or, uh, get your old sketches out of the closet and finish them. Uh, take those ridiculous conversations that you're having and recording and put them on iTunes or whatever, right? Somehow the act of, of, you know, putting them on display or completing them makes it better for you, regardless of any, whether anybody listens to it or not. It makes it more fun for you right. and more meaningful for you. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I think as a person who, like, makes a podcast, it's, like, a great technology. 
Now, all this being said, saying that I think podcasts are stupid, I listen to them all the time. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I can't really, it's very hard for me to do anything now without listening to like a podcast or music, like even if I'm like taking the tram to work or something like that. Yeah. Um, and so one of the things that I thought was really, really interesting was I listened to you guys talking to, was it Gabe about Tiger Woods? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And it was, in, it was indistinguishable in terms of quality from, like, Bill Simmons and Rick Riley talking about Tiger Woods. Well, that's quite I a mean, <laughs> Yeah. And, you know, I think that's interesting, right? Because, uh, obviously, because, because of the fact that they have ads on it, because Bill Simmons doesn't write anymore, I know that his podcast is somehow a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it's interesting that, like, a guy who's, quote, a professional – Although his whole thing is that he's not, right? That he was like the everyman or whatever. Right. But his guests are certainly professionals. Right. right. So somebody who's a professional in the podcasting milieu sounds just like you and me. And I think that's kind of cool in a way that it's like the great equalizer in a sense. That like basically it's cool like when people talk and it's cool to hear it if they're interesting people, whoever they are. It definitely makes it something where as podcasters – I mean, we're not going to all of a sudden have the same number of listeners as Bill Simmons or as one of these other popular things. But if someone's going through and looking at different podcasts and listening to things, it's nice to be able to think that listening to ours wouldn't be that dissimilar to listening to some other one. Well, I think I think that's what technology has brought us, is that anybody can do this kind of thing. I mean, you know... Whether it's a podcast, you know, when we were kids, we liked to write, and I always thought, oh, it'd be cool to be a columnist for a newspaper. Anyone now can have a blog, and right. you write, and you post, and, and maybe people read it, maybe they don't. Or you can have a, a YouTube channel if you like to make, you know, your own movies, or you can upload a podcast to iTunes. I mean, anyone can do these things now, and in a semi, you know, professional, at least appearing way. I think it's great. I love the empowerment, right? I love the idea that all of us can, uh, and I, you know, I expand it, not just podcasting, right? You know, with the, all the stuff that people do on their Macintosh computers so easily, you know, all of us can be, all of us can be photo editors. All of us can be sound engineers. All of us can be, um, you know, techno music producers. And I love the empowerment, but as a consumer, I'm kind of disturbed that, you know, there are a hundred indistinguishable choices of people talking about Tiger Woods, and there's really no reason for me to listen to any of them, and yet I somehow listen to 50 of them, you know? Right. Um, so, and in a larger sense, I'm, I'm bothered by the entire web in this way. See, um, in, in my mind, I, I, I listen to podcasts before and after school, like when I'm doing my, you know, pre- preparation beforehand or afterwards, like grading papers or whatever, and I... Ha- I have a hard time finding enough ones. Like I listened to Bill Simmons um, while Lost was on. I would listen to the Lost podcasts. I will, uh, you know, you listen. To listen this one, I'll listen right? to our own podcasts, which is kind of sad. One maybe. of us should. Um, but but like I, I I'm looking for other ones that I find interesting, and and because I've become a Liverpool fan, and there's like kind of new stuff going on with them changing ownership. The other day I was looking for Liverpool ones and it's like the you'd think something that is that big with that many passionate fans would ha- would have regular podcasts but the only ones I found like the last podcast was in like September or something 
And it's like, you know, if we can put out a podcast every week, how can these kind of bigger entities not be able to do the same thing? Like, how can we be talking more about Liverpool soccer than <laughs> anyone else in the world? That doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that um, on some level, like, a podcast has to, like, kind of grab you, either because you know the people or because they do something unique because, like there's tons of podcasts out there and like you can listen to one for 30 seconds and just be like, why am I doing this? You know, like, like who are these people, you know? So, um, and that sort of turns it back around to what I was talking about is there's no shortage of them. Um, but there's certainly a lot that just don't, they don't really connect to you uh, or, or make any sense really. Or, I mean, sometimes they just function to me as background noise it's just a matter of finding something that I find interesting. And and maybe maybe I'm not doing a good enough job searching. I'm being kind of lazy in my in my search. But but I steps but So so you search for Liverpool ones, but in terms of if finding other ones, you hear about them either from friends, recommendations or, you know, maybe <clears throat> Simmons has a guest that has his own podcast and you go, okay, I'm going to check that one out. Right. You know, I mean, th- I think that's how I started downloading podcasts was uh, when Adam Carolla radio show went off the air and he said okay you know they went off the air on a friday and he said okay monday i'm gonna start just doing a podcast and so i started downloading those and then uh he would have someone on that had their own podcast and then i would listen to that and and and, you know like you said either after the first minute or the first episode you know i would like to hear this once a week or i don't really care about this Mm -hmm. but you just you know i think it's i think it's you find better ones when you when you hear about ones from people with similar interests um, then just Google it or, you know, going to iTunes and searching funny podcast and see what comes back. Yeah. It works across media too. Like, uh, you know, for example, I now read books by Chuck Klosterman because I listen to him on the Bill Simmons podcast. So it's right. like, it's kind of like a fraternity of interesting people who like recommend each other to me. Right. It, it, it's such a, a fraternity. I mean, you know, why would I follow, uh, uh, Jacko on Twitter, except, you know, I heard him on Simmons and, oh, that's kind of funny. And, you know, you just, you connect the dots of all these people. I think, I, I wonder if Simmons realizes, like, that maybe his biggest uh, impact is not necessarily the things that he writes or the things that he says, but, like, the ways that he turns us on to these other people, right? you know, and, and kind of expands from his little small world to everything else. And I think he's running out of juice a little bit. I mean, I think he he's become very repetitive himself, uh, but his guests are still great. So I still like listening. Like, I find that, you know, especially when he's talking about sports, he now harps on the same points over and over and over again. Right. Um, which, when, when they were his sort of, like, everyman take, they were interesting. But, you know, he's not a broadcaster, right? So... You know, although I like his podcast, it's probably not what he, exactly what he was built for. Well, and he's not really the everyman anymore. I mean, he has to he no, has to adapt. Not, right. He can't. He he he. You know, he has a, a a wide enough. I mean, just recently, the big thing where where he kind of leaked the Randy Moss thing. You know, that's that that's such an interesting thing in and of itself, just because it's so. It's like here's this technological world that so many people are connected to, and. Look at look what kind of impact this one person can have by just accidentally quote unquote doing this thing. Um, that I mean is is proof maybe more than anything that that he is not who he used to be. 
Yeah, and again, this gets a little bit back towards the things that I don't like about all this, which is that, uh, I mean, he's they've talked about it a lot on his podcast, but it's an issue that I find kind of interesting how there's all this nonsense that we subject ourselves to all the time. Like, uh, you listen to sports coverage and you hear people make a big deal out of things that are garbage because, you know, there's a thousand different media outlets running all the time and they have to say something. Right, right. So I hear stuff like, especially like the summer of LeBron. I mean, I heard so many things that were so speculative and so irritating. Um, and they're right. Like, that's why this happens is because they have to have, you know, a new thing on the Twitter feed, like every, you know, minute or whatever. I think it's really cool that you can be in Prague and you're like exactly piped into the same things that we're talking about and, and we're learning about, like, you know, even 20 years ago. I'm guessing the dissemination of American sports information to Europe was nothing like it is now. Whereas, you know, with Twitter and, and you know, the prevalence of the internet and iTunes and things like that, we're all on the same page pretty much instantaneously. Yeah, yeah and we wouldn't be able to make this phone, phone call either. I mean, right, right. or Jacob would be spending a lot of money on his phone bill. <laughs> yeah, and it's interesting too because... Um, you know, Skype came around right around the time I went to Sweden. Um, so sort of for the first year I was there, it was almost more like the old days. Um, because I had Skype, but a lot of people didn't. And so I didn't really keep in touch with people very much. And now I can just talk to, I kind of talk to anybody anytime. Um, the time difference is a little weird. But yeah, that is interesting, right? That we're all, that we're all listening to the same podcasts and we're all... Um, watching the same TV shows because even though when they show Lost on Czech TV, it's in Czech and I can't understand it, I can download it in a legal way and, uh, <laughs> and pay for it somehow uh, or the, the rights to it and, uh, and watch it, um, you know, like two hours after you can. It, it definitely has to make Europe a more... I mean, I, I feel like one of the difficult things about living somewhere other than even California would be, you know, making those adjustments. And it definitely seems like with the improvements in technology and the internet and everything that it, that it is a lot easier. Like even living on the East coast for me, I feel like I could never live on the East coast because of the sports difference. You know, like I remember in college going to visit friends on the East coast and waking up in the morning and getting the newspaper to find out the score of the Dodger game and it just we have a little N next to it for night game, meaning we had to publish the newspaper before the game ended, so we don't know what the score is. Yeah, that's weird. And uh, you know, when you're like watching uh, NBA Finals games that go to like you know twelve thirty a.m. and stuff like that, it's right. very strange on the East Coast. But I mean, yeah, it definitely kills me that if I want to watch uh, basketball live, it's at you know two or three and four or five in the morning here. Uh, that that's a tough one, and I definitely don't watch it very much. But um, but certainly I can, if I don't look at websites and stuff, I can download a you know a high definition replay within twenty four hours. Yeah. So um, although basketball is difficult to deal with now because like basically it can't get any worse than uh, whatever was I think I guess it was two seasons ago where the Kings had the worst record in the NBA and the Lakers were the champions. Yeah. I mean. There's basically no worse season in any sport for me. I can't imagine. Right. Um, so why would I want to watch that anyway? It Was that more painful than the season when you guys got so close and uh, 
were were turned away by a Robert Ori miracle? Definitely not more painful, but um, more more because uh, I was engaged with that, obviously. So that right. was the most right. painful. You but in terms disconnect. of yeah, bad feeling from beginning to end, uh, sort of a dull bad feeling from beginning yeah. to end. That's as bad as it can get. Yeah. Um, that's so weird. I had no idea you were a Lakers fan. Sorry, I, 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 I'm, I'm, I kind of feel like if, if I had told you that, maybe this podcast wouldn't have happened. So uh. Uh, you're, you've been uh, far less obnoxious than, uh, than Lakers well, okay. fans. Okay, Here, here's, so. here's my, here's my uh, self evaluation as, a, as a sports fan. I feel like I, I can recognize the fact that I am a, I am, I have difficulty with losing. Yeah, <laughs> I, I am not the greatest and most gracious of losers. However, knowing that, I have tried to make myself uh, in a way where if my team wins, I don't lord it over people and put it in their face and things like that because I know how I would feel on the other end of that. that See, this is, a, uh, this is a thing that most Lakers fans have a disease which makes them incapable of understanding. So this is why I find it hard to believe that you can actually be one of them. Well, you're you're the evolved Lakers fan. Yeah, I'm 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 a new breed. Although, yeah. I mean, I was I became a Laker fan because I was a Magic Johnson fan, and so I I have been ever since you know ever since I could remember basketball. And what actually one of my uh, if you remember um, in junior high when I would carpool with jo- uh, Zach and John Johnny yeah. currently John is what he goes by, and we would walk over to. Uh, the park, you know, like down the street, a um, couple blocks away, and my my parents or Zach's parents would would park there, and we'd walk through that park and get picked up there just because it was so crazy, like in the Churchill parking lot. And I remember the day that uh, Magic Johnson revealed that he had HIV and was leaving the league, I like totally broke down and cried because I had tickets to see him play the Kings like a month later. That's terrible. And it was like the first time I was ever going to be able to see him live. And now he's not going to play and he has this disease and everything. And so it's like the first time I was supposed to go skiing. I had chicken pox the same day. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Maybe that wasn't as big. (laughs) You guys didn't really respond with as much uh, (laughs) amazement. as I. It it would, it would have been a lot worse had he died not that long after. You know, the fact that if he had gotten chicken pox as well, <laughs> then he'd be having the worst day ever. But, uh, yeah. So, you know, I endured, I endured the, the low Laker years of Eldon Campbell and Eddie Jones. And see, I actually really liked because I, uh, I don't know if you guys remember this cause we weren't, didn't go to the same high school, but I moved to the Mojave desert after my first year in high school. I, I remember, uh, my memory is that you moved to Victorville. Is that correct? Correct. Exactly correct. Um, and uh, so our local team, at least TV-wise, was the Lakers and the Clippers. Mm. And uh, that, the first year I was there, was the Lakers team with uh, Nick Van Exel, Eddie Jones, right. and Cedric Sabalos, the year he made the All-Star team. Ugh. And I actually really liked that team. Really? And they, Orlando, Wol- Orlando Woolridge and... No, 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 no. They had Riyats and those guys. They had they had the old guy who, who they called Buddha. What was his name? James Edwards, um, who who's very Orlando Woolridge like. Yeah. But um, but anyway, I really liked that team. And basically, 
for reasons having not much to do with the Lakers in particular, I kind of despise uh, Shaq and Kobe. I despised Shaq prior to his arrival on the Lakers, and I despised Kobe prior to his arrival on the Lakers because of that thing he did where he was too good to play for the team that drafted him. Right. And so, uh, you know, prior to that, I... Okay, is that is that really what happened? Did he demand to not play for Charlotte? That's exactly what happened. His agent really? said, you better trade him because there's no way he's ever playing for you. I guess I've uh, I've never I've never heard that or thought of it that way. But. Yeah. So anyway, uh, so that's where it originated for me. I mean, my dad was a Celtics fan, and so there was a certain rivalry with the Lakers in the '80s. But to me, rivalry doesn't mean hatred necessarily. Uh, as a matter of fact, I like players who view rivalry as a situation of respect. And another thing that I despise about Shaq and Kobe is that they don't do that. So they were basically the sort of uh, standard bearers of a new breed of player who viewed rivalry as an opportunity to uh, essentially demolish somebody. And if they didn't win, to basically think of every reason why it wasn't really because the other team was better and not to show them any respect, but to say, oh, we just didn't play the way we're capable of. So it's, this goes very deep. And, Clearly. Uh, that's, that's a good point, though. I like that. Oh, I, yeah. I mean, I could I could really go on about this for a long time. But um, so, you know, there was that thing about them. And, and they weren't the only players who were like that, but they were the most visible of a generation of players who were like that. And it was a very strong contrast to the guys that I grew up watching, like Magic Johnson and Larry Bird and uh, I don't know, uh, the, the old Carl Malone uh, players like that. I feel like I've been scolded a little bit. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, there's, you know, there's, there's years and years worth of things that I would, you know, love to point out about the Lakers. But um, again, uh, I guess at some point you'd have, probably have to start hitting back, and then that wouldn't really be fun. <laughs> <laughs> we may have to say that for our next podcast. I think this. Yeah, uh, and you know, I mean, of course, you can like, uh, you know, make fun of Vladi Divac and stuff like that, or the Vladi Divac as he was with the Kings, because that's the thing that Lakers fans love to do. Uh, we do love to do. That. <laughs> yeah. Although um, I uh, I do remember, and I would love to have this uh, this clip. I don't know how you would search for it on YouTube. I do remember a a playoff series between the Lakers and the Kings, or maybe it was a regular season game, where Vladi Divac was playing the Kings, and he was being guarded by Samaki Walker. And mm-hmm. Samaki Walker basically had his aunt, his arm out and had it in front of Vlade. And Vlade basically wrapped his arms around Samaki Walker's arm and pulled Samaki Walker's elbow into his face <laughs> and then reacted as if he had been elbowed in the face. <laughs> it was fantastic. I mean, he did a lot of those things over That's the awesome. years, but I never saw him, you know, like initiating the contact or faking the contact, but I never saw him like grab another player's body part and use it as a weapon against himself. <laughs> And then react. And by the way, he got the foul call on that. He uh, got of course, the foul he of course he did. Yeah. I, I, my favorite thing about Vladi still is, and this is, this, you're gonna hate this because uh, I'm a Laker fan. My favorite thing about Vladi is that's who we traded to get Kobe. Yeah, and there's, uh, there's an interesting element to that historically, right? Because um, uh, you know that that is a thing which is a great day for Lakers fans. Yeah, and of course. It's interesting because I'm upset about it because of that thing that I talked about, about Kobe saying, you know, I'm the 13th or 12th pick in the draft or whatever he was, mm-hmm. but I'm far too good to play for the Charlotte Hornets. Um, but at the same time, without that move, <laughs> do the Kings ever become the team that they were? 
you know, does Vlade's career path move in anywhere the same way that he becomes the player that he becomes and is potentially available to play for Sacramento and so on. That's a good point. But you can't, I learned a long time ago, you can't do that with anything in basketball, right? right? You can't right. say, oh, I wish they hadn't made this move because inevitably it always like, uh, you know, six degrees of separates to something that you wanted to have. And, right. Right. The butterfly effect. Indeed. One of your favorite. As they, call it, on your, as they call it on your side of the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> well, Josh, this has been a very enjoyable podcast. Um, definitely. I hope and the first of many. I agree. I think I think there's definitely a lot uh, a lot of uh, future discussions to be had. Uh, I'm glad to hear that. I mean, I think it would be fun, and there's certainly a lot of uh, well, of course, you didn't finish telling me about how great I was in elementary school. So, <laughs> well, we just said we wanted to have you back. I mean, you know. yeah, well, our, yeah. Our, 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 next, our next podcast can... will be much more flattering. I think. Okay. Good. Yeah, because I need I need to hear some more of that. <laughs> I, I will say this: I don't have as many uh, specific memories, um, just because of the way my brain works or doesn't. But I, I have this memory of Josh that that whatever whatever we were doing when we were in elementary school, you wanted to include Josh because that yeah. then it was going to be fun and it was right. going to be like a good time. I mean, you know, I could go to Joe's house and we could play ping pong and and you know that's fine for an afternoon. Make but, gay jokes and make gay jokes at each other all, all afternoon long. <laughs> But uh, but when you introduced the Josh factor, things just got exponentially more fun and memorable. You're really destroying my entire uh, self conception at this point. Well, you also, I mean, you had access to to quote unquote cool things. Like I remember listening to like comedy albums at your house. Sure. Like, I think one of them was like Polly Shore. Definitely. If that, if that rings a bell. Um, just acts things like that where where you're like, oh, let's listen to this thing or let's. Look at this magazine or whatever it was that the Joy of Sex book. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> and that's true. You didn't make that up. Uh, that's right. You know, it was like, oh, Josh is kind of like you. You you brought this kind of cutting edge a little bit in your. Yes, definitely. I mean, your, that's you know, that's what I hope Mrs. <clears throat> Hurst realized when you know casting you as the cow and giving you the ability to write your own lines. You were you were the George Carlin of our group. <laughs> and to this day I bring you access to the uh, psychology and language of faraway countries that you'll Exactly. That yeah. You've never visited. See? So I'll, I'll speak uh, I'll speak Swedish the next time or Okay. Nice. Or something like that. You'll lose your American mystique though to us. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> like, well, it was kind of fun having you on the last time, but <laughs> Now you're just one of us. You just don't really interesting anymore. By the way, we have no idea what you're saying. <laughs> just as long as you don't commit any sex crimes against us, I'll be satisfied. Yikes. <laughs> Thanks. On that note, <laughs> I wanted to end on a positive, you know, yeah. uplifting. Mission accomplished. Note, so. so did um, the guests get to say the thing at the end? Or, oh, yes. Or... Oh, yes. How does it work? Do you, do you, do you cue me or... <laughs> Well, I'll say it, and Jacob will say it, and then... Uh, the awkward silence will be your cue. Can, yeah, can, I say it, can I say it in Czech? Wouldn't that be appropriate? That would be great. Yeah. We've already had yeah. it in Spanish in a previous one, so that would All right. be perfect. All right. That's a podcast. That's a podcast. Oh, yeah, podcast. Into the woods nice. without delay, but careful not to lose the way. Into the woods, who knows what may be lurking on the journey. Into the woods to get the thing that makes it worth the journey.